0: Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus, insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our Spotlight on the Positive segment. And here's some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their communities. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazeri. Go get them, guys. <laughs>
1: Hey, good evening, folks, and thank you for joining us tonight on Thursday Night Tailgate, where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazeri back with you to get you ready for Pro Bowl weekend of the NFL season. Bob, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris. How are you down there, man? I'm fantastic. Thank you. I I, got to be honest, though, Bob, I, I think this is my least favorite week of the NFL season. We got our wish, though. When the NFL did away with the actual Pro Bowl game, it had become a joke for what five, six, ten years. I don't know what, Bob. It was just—it was crazy that they continued to play that game. Nobody really cared. Nobody really tried, particularly on the defense. But they took our recommendation. Now we got a bunch of skills challenges instead of the game. There's a flag football game, and I'm not sure, Bob, that that's even a good idea. Just ask Robert Re- uh, Robert Edwards, whose career Ooh. went south when he got injured and a flag football game during Pro Bowl week back in January of 1999 but curious to get your thoughts Bob are you going to tune in and watch any of this i just
2: sincerely doubt it chris i mean you and i since i've known you we've been on the bandwagon number one that the whole pro bowl is is a joke and it got even worse when um you know there was no no actually the two teams obviously in the super bowl cannot send players um the players that do get elected Elected not to go. So you end up with some kind of strange exhibition game uh, during the week of the Super Bowl hype. And um it, it just got horrific. It was basically a flag football up to this year anyway. Uh <laughs> so I mean I, I I, just can't get into it. There is so much, you know, going on with the Super Bowl and um, you know, real football uh to study and analyze and and that I mean. I know they're trying to, to gain an incredible audience, very diverse audience, but it has nothing really to do with football. Uh, So I think I'll pass on. I couldn't tell you too much about it, the skills challenges and everything like that, but you're right. It's not like it's, it it would be horrific for someone to get hurt during such i I'll call it a silly event.
1: Yeah. And uh, I've, I've always felt bad for Robert Edwards or, a guy who was a rookie and had rushed for over 1100 yards. And then he goes to the pro bowl and they're playing a, a little game in the, on the beach, a fight football game on the beach. And he ends up blowing out his knee and it was really never the same after that. So I hope n- nobody takes it too seriously. I, and, and nobody gets hurt and all that sort of stuff. If I happen to peruse by on the guide this weekend and say, Oh, well they're, they're doing a quarterback challenge or something like that. I, I might tune in just uh, for a minute to see what's going on and, Um, to take that a a bit further, Bob, speaking of quarterback challenges, I want to get your thoughts. Tyler Huntley named to the AFC pro bowl team, a guy who had two touchdown passes, three interceptions. And when he was in there for the Ravens, they averaged a stout, a stout 12.5 points per game with him as quarterback. When I saw it, I was like, seriously, did they really pick Tyler Huntley to be the quarterback uh, on, on the pro bowl team? And then I sort of kind of went down the Rolodex in my head, Bob thinking about who else could they have chosen to play it from the, for the AFC. A lot of guys hurt. Um, obviously, Tua is a guy who just now cleared uh, the pro, uh, concussion protocol. Kenny Pickett's probably not going to be a guy that you're going to put in there. So you start to really think about, what, are they going to pick someone from the Jets? I mean, th- the choices of who they could have put in there outside of Tyler Huntley is probably put pretty slim pickings. But I thought, you got to be kidding me. Tyler Huntley, Bob?
2: Uh, hey, I, Chris, it, it just proves my point. I think it's such a joke. Um, I mean, this is a guy, you know, his third year in the league. He's thrown five touchdowns, seven picks uh, in like 15 games. How is this guy invited to any kind of postseason game? You know, uh, <laughs> you mentioned the Jets. I, I might invite Mike White before Huntley.
1: Um, <laughs> All right.
2: I mean, but yeah, when it gets to this pathetic point, Chris, what it, is it? Can you really call it? I guess, well, they're not calling it an all-star game, but that's what it's supposed to be. Uh, so maybe, I mean, maybe we shouldn't look at it like that. They just, maybe they'll get to the point where we'll just invite players who are interested to come and, and you know, do what they got to do. But I yeah. did not understand what, you know, I had to remind myself who this guy played for, what he's <laughs> done uh, when they announced it. But uh, I think uh, that tells you kind of how pathetic the whole thing is.
1: Yeah, I think that definitely puts an exclamation point on that. Well, let's take a look back at the conference championship games from last week. A lot of folks complaining about the Chiefs-Bengals game and how it was officiated. They, they did miss some blatant holding calls in there, but, you know, th- that happens every game. Maybe you could call holding on every play if you really wanted to. And then, of course, the roughing the quarterback call with a, in the last few seconds of the game, which was the biggest one of the entire game, and allowed the chiefs to kick the game winning field goal. But do you think the refs were any worse in that game than they were in any other game?
2: You know, I don't think so, Chris, I think it was just magnified because of the, the matchup and, and how important the game was. I mean, you could argue with one of the Joe Burrow uh, grounding calls um, because he was under pressure. Some people are saying, I looked at some of the replays. I mean, it's just so tough to see, Uh, You know, when you get pressured, your arm gets hit. You really can't call grounding. I think that happened on the second one. Uh, But, you know, listen, I mean, Bengals lost that game because of their stupidity penalties. And those were legit penalties, Chris. You know, uh, Eli Apple and the obviously the out of bounds one, Osai, that was terrible. Um, And more and more things in every sport, Chris, are being decided by mental mistakes. Uh, So, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, it, it gets down to it's beyond the professionalism of the athlete it's it comes down to a lot of times mental mistakes it's almost like who's going to make the less mental mistakes is going to be victorious and and that's kind of crazy but I did think I mean as far as the clock issue uh you know they were playing in Kansas City Chris Chris, they could not hear the whistle so I mean uh, the the ref wanted to do what he wanted to do Uh, but it's just the things that happened afterward the ref could not control that but I I I didn't see anything in that game uh, worse than kind of the things I've seen all year.
1: You know, when you talk about the mental mistakes, Bob, it's always the Bengals. I mean, Uh as a Steeler fan, right. I mean, you you remember the playoff game a few years ago where they, the uh, personal foul calls against perfect against Adam Jones. I mean, back to back. I mean, they, they essentially handed the Steelers a game winning field goal when they played each other in the playoffs a few years ago. And here they are, again, with the mental mistakes. It, hey, I don't know if it's cultural within the Bengals organization. They've certainly cleaned out all the guys that were there yeah. before by players and coaches. But again, the Bengals shoot themselves in the foot with a personal foul that should never have happened. We're probably in overtime, and who knows what happens in overtime. It's anybody's game at that point. But they gave it to the Chiefs, and it's just, it, it makes me shake my head, Bob, that it's always the Bengals that make these kind of mental errors.
2: Yeah. And as soon as you mentioned perfect and Jones, I mean, these, these are not too, you know, incredibly well-thought of citizens, Chris. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna have to live and, and die with these guys, but when it gets into a playoff game, there is very, very little room for error and those kind of penalties. And that's what, that's what beat the Bengals. Nothing else. I mean, uh, you could analyze that game all you want those penalties right there, which were legit penalties just cost them
1: that. Yes, it did. And Bob, I was puzzled why the 49ers again, you know, those poor guys they're snake bit at the quarterback position. I mean, my goodness, they go through four of them this year and none of them are healthy by the end of the NFC championship game, but they put Brock Purdy back in the game after Josh Johnson goes down with a concussion and he was unable to come back and play. And then all of a sudden here we are Brock Purdy's back in there. Everybody knows he can't throw and He's taking the snap. I mean, I thought, what, what are you doing? I mean, all the Eagles are going to do is bring all 11 guys to the, to the line of scrimmage, and they're just going to block up, you know, any running lanes, and then you're going to punt the ball right back. I thought, for crying out loud, at least give Christian McCaffrey the helmet and let him take the snaps, and at least there's the threat that he might throw it. I mean, there was no threat that Brock Purdy was going to throw it. I mean, he threw that one little dump-off pass, but I mean, he was not going downfield at all. I mean, I couldn't understand wh- why just prop Brock Purdy up there to take the snap and hand the ball off. Why not at least give Christian McCaffrey the option to potentially throw a pass?
2: Yeah, it was a very unfortunate situation, Chris. I I'm not sure the 49ers would have won either way. I mean, you know, they would have scored more than 30 points. Um, uh, but uh, Purdy, when he went down, you know, Josh Johnson. There's a re- reason why he's a fourth string quarterback, Chris. Now. I mean, I probably would have favored Purdy throwing small screen passes, maybe 10-yard throws if he continued. I mean, it seemed like that was the extent of what he could do. You were probably off, better off doing that than bringing in Josh Johnson. But you're right. Maybe about McCaffrey could have done some other things, surprised them in certain ways. Um, I, I, you could see Kyle Shanahan was just dumbfounded, not know what to do. I'd never seen a look on his face like that. So, um, it, it was just very unfortunate, um, 49ers mustering only one touchdown with those kind of weapons, but I guess it goes down and we talked about it forever, all these years, how important the quarterback is to a team.
1: Yeah, right. And now we're hearing that Purdy may likely miss all of next season. Like, what's your thought, Bob? What do, you, what do you think this does for his stock, which was at an all-time high, and it probably saves Trey Lance from being dealt somewhere like the Jets.
2: What a what a situation, right, Chris? I mean, it's it's wild because you know the whole Garoppolo thing. He's he's probably not coming back, so. You look at, you know, Purdy is, is the new guy in the block and, and brought them to the championship game. And when that injury happened, Chris, I had no idea it was that kind of serious. Everybody even on the telecast was saying, you know, it it, it looks like kind of a nerf thing and it's going to go away shortly. You know, he just, like a stunner, like a funny bone type thing. That's what everyone was thinking. And now we're talking about a guy missing a year. It's just crazy how things work out. But Trey Lance, Chris, probably the Maybe the best, maybe the luckiest guy now. I mean, he's still a very young guy. Uh, you know, right after the season ended for them, everyone was on the Tom Brady bandwagon. You know, he's coming back home. We got now we have a spot for him. Uh, why not end here? And then, of course, we know what happened with Brady this week. So it's a wild situation. Lance, Purdy gone for maybe at least six months, Chris. I don't know. I guess Lance goes into training camp with the job, but they're, they're, this is probably a thing things that the front office is talking about as we speak
1: yeah you you talk about lucky Trey Lance is probably very lucky uh he's he's the recipient of this job back because again I I think he was on his way out of San Francisco in a trade because Purdy seemed to be the guy and you're not going to keep Lance there uh, a former you know first round pick as the backup guy so he was probably headed somewhere out of town now it looks like it's his job again once we get to training camp Let's move along to our unsung hero of the week, and I know we only have the uh, the four teams, but was there a guy last week, Bob, that really stuck out to you that uh, maybe a little lesser known?
2: You know, Chris, I got to give it. We're getting down to the point where you know that we don't have many to choose from, but the Philadelphia Eagles, since they are going to the Super Bowl, you know, I had a I I I liked watching that Kenneth Gainwell. And I said, let me let me look at this guy's background. Of course, I said, Chris is going to love this guy. He's a fifth-round draft pick, Chris. <laughs>
1: um, you know,
2: undersized, kind of uh, I think he's under 5'8", 5'9". He's, he's a very well, – but he's a strong guy. But you would – people would probably consider him under, undersized, out of Memphis, had an incredibly good last year at Memphis, but only played two years there. So no one really knew him. Uh, he's the cousin of Fletcher Cox, which a lot of people knew that. But, I mean, he – he rushed for 48 yards last week, but, you know, some very, very decent runs in crucial situations. And he's averaged four and a half yards per carry all season long. And he's he's only started one game in the two years in Philadelphia, none this year in the regular season. So I thought that was a cool pick, uh, a guy that, you know, obviously I, I would go on out on a limb and say many people had not heard of Kenneth Gainwell probably going into the postseason. So we got to give it up for him. And uh, I love that he's from Yazoo city, Mississippi. (laughs) There you
1: go. Yeah, absolutely. He's a guy, I tell you what, the backfield for the Eagles is amazing. They got so many uh, talented running backs and this guy is certainly one of them. So yeah, I thought uh, he did a great job and a good pick uh, for your unsung hero of the week. I'm going with the chiefs wide receiver, Marcus Kemp. He's in his fifth season there in KC, Bob, an undrafted free agent out of Hawaii. He and Patrick Mahomes actually came into the league together, used to play catch together in training camp or on the scout team together. And then last Sunday, all of a sudden he's thrust into action when Kadarius, Tony, Juju, Smith-Schuster, and Miko Hardeman left the game with injuries. Now, he's a guy that had a total of 10 offensive snaps this season. On Sunday, he got into 22 plus 18 more on the special teams, had a key 13-yard reception late in the fourth quarter for a first down to extend a drive and keep the clock moving. Like Mahomes said to him after the game, every time he gets in, it's like something good happens. So that's why he's my unsung hero of the week. All right, we've got our first guest, Lee Steinberg, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Lee right on the other side of this real quick station break.
0: Thursday Night Tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened here
1: to tonight. All right, now back in making his 12th appearance with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate, is super agent, author, teacher, and TNT guest Hall of Famer Lee Steinberg. There isn't a bigger or more influential person or a better person for that matter in the world of sports than Lee Steinberg. Be sure to check out Lee's book, the agent my 40 year career making deals and changing the game, which you can find out on Amazon. He's represented some of the greatest athletes of our time, including our friends on this show, Steve Barkowski and Drew Bledsoe. Lee was a member of our 2015 guest hall of fame class. First joined us all the way back on August 1st of 2013 so we're approaching 10 years of being blessed with having Lee as part of the show. And we're excited he is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Lee, Chris and Bob, thanks for coming How back you, on Lee? the show.
3: Hi, Chris and Bob. Oh, my pleasure. It, um, it's not a Thursday night without the tailgate. So, there you go. <laughs> and I, I keep the Hall of Fame bat in a very precious place in uh, my office.
1: Ah, we appreciate that very much. So, Lee, congratulations to you and obviously your client Patrick Mahomes on making his fifth consecutive AFC Championship game and another trip back to the Super Bowl. Has to be a huge throw for you guys.
3: Well, it is. If you think about it, probably in agentry, there are three things that are outstanding. One is having players go to the Hall of Fame. The second is having the first pick in the draft. And the third is the fact that cyber Sports and Entertainment has a quarterback in the Super Bowl because this event transcends the narrow genre of hardcore sports fans and reaches it out all across the country. And so someone who performs dramatically in the game can both out of being a great football player into becoming a household name. So there really is nothing like it in American sports.
1: Lee, one of the big questions for one of your other clients is, is with Tua and uh, and his health. We saw that he finally cleared protocol this week. And and uh, I saw that uh, the Dolphins GM Chris Greer said a couple of weeks ago that the doctors have assured them that Tua is no more prone to concussions than anyone, anybody else. Um, your thoughts, is is enough being done to protect his long-term health?
3: Um, I'm going to let Tua speak for himself and let the Dolphins speak on that precise issue. As you know, uh, on the subject of concussions, I've been active for a number of years. We're going to have at uh, our Super Bowl party next week the uh, a brain health summit with experts, neurologists speaking out on that issue.
1: Yeah. And talk a little bit about that. I know you've assembled a group that's going to look into improving the health and wellness and treatment of players. Talk about what you're doing there.
3: So really I looked at a couple aspects. One was that many games end up in the fourth quarter or the last play. And is there a way to stimulate athletic performance and productivity in that uh, window there? Um, and second of all, now with the cap, you have a massive drop-off between a starting left tackle, for example, and he gets injured, and now all of a sudden you're playing a rookie or someone at the minimum. And so I started to explore, were there ways to To deal with these problems and also concussion. And so I went and actually had 240 million stem cells put in my body in Medellin, Colombia. I found a process called RTMS, which is magnets against the brain that stimulates neural uh, uh, processing. And and can be really good for players. I found another one with Dr. Tommy Shavers, which is called Nestry, and that um, again can stimulate uh, the brain and, and focus. And then hyperbaric oxygen and light stem. And so I'm taking this as a package to to uh, pro teams, to college teams, and uh, but these modalities are a great benefit to everyone. Keep people much younger living longer and and with better cognitive function.
1: Five questions for Lee.
2: Lee, it's always great to speak with you uh and thanks for coming on once again. Uh more about Mahomes. Um you know, one of the gutsiest performances I've ever seen in the first playoff game. He literally playing on one leg. Uh when you saw it happen, Lee, uh tell me your reaction. And did you stay on top of his health for the last few weeks, what he was going through and and uh, getting updates on him?
3: Well, everyone knows what a high ankle sprain is and does. And it's obviously a very painful uh, injury. Um, but Kansas City has a great medical staff. Patrick's really bright. And I will tell you, the fact that someone makes it to pro ball In the first place, instead of getting washed out in high school or in college, Um, is a testimony to the fact that they've got some really different bodies with much quicker rehabilitative uh, capacity and much better ability to to handle pain and hitting. And um, so, thank goodness there's two weeks uh, in between the AFC
2: Championship and the Super Bowl. But um, Patrick's a gamer. And Lee, we've talked in the past uh, how you had roots in California and uh, you've represented athletes basically in every sport. And I was just wondering, take me back to when you were a youth. um, How did you get into sports? What sport kind of got you rolling and maybe things you participated in. Just take us back to when you were small. Your introduction to sports in general. Well, I'm still small, but um, okay, young. I, I,
3: <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, the I grew up in Southern California at a really rich time in that sport. My father had been had played freshman basketball at UCLA, so he dragged me to every UCLA basketball and football game. Uh, the Dodgers came to Los Angeles. We were totally excited about that. So I played baseball, basketball, football, um, but I love the LA team. So I love the Dodgers and the Angels, and um, and I fell in love with the Rams by going to the LA Coliseum. Oh boy! We sat so high in the stands that you would have needed a telescope to <laughs> uh, be able to identify an individual player, but uh, I fell in love with all of that, but never never really thought of it as a, a, a profession. And as I've told you before, I ended up as a dorm counselor in an undergraduate dormitory at, at Cal. Um, and they moved the freshman football team into the dorm. And one of the students was the quarterback, Steve Bartkowski. And when I got out of law school, I traveled the world for a year. And then He had been the very first pick in the first round of the 1975 draft, and he asked me to represent him. And there I was brimming with legal experience. And I'll tell you about those days there was no right of representation. So a team could just hang up the phone like Mike Brown did on me in 1975 and say, We don't deal with agents. But thank goodness uh, Atlanta did. And we got a contract, which then was largest rookie contract in NFL history. And uh, um, today you laugh at the economics of it.
1: Leo, I want to switch gears a little bit. And I, I saw a video that you posted on Twitter recently regarding letting go of resentment so we can put positive things in our life, which ties nicely into our weekly segment, our Spotlight on the Positive. Talk about not letting other people steal our joy.
3: So I think it's really critical to, first of all, not surround yourself with toxic people um, because that will flood into your environment. I think it's also important to remember that each moment we spend, if you can simply focus on this moment, I'm doing this show with you, You can draw all the enjoyment out of it. And to understand that when you think positive thoughts, it releases a cascade of brain chemicals into your body that make you feel better. And conversely, when you think negative thoughts, it releases epinephrine and cortisol and a whole bunch of things. So you can literally think your way into being happier. There you go.
1: Leo, I also want to get your thoughts on the NIL now that allows college athletes to profit from their name, their image, their likeness. That's sort of changed, you know, college sports and probably changed the sport forever. How has it changed for you with regards to players now being able to either talk to agents, market themselves when they're in college? So let's um,
3: talk about football as a sport. Normally, A player cannot come out of school until three years have passed since their high school graduated. So we would occasionally talk to a junior, but you're talking about an older person. And now all of a sudden, um, if, if an agent doesn't approach the talented high school quarterback and he gets a marketing agent and also represents athletes, if you don't reach him at a high school level. You may never talk to him. So it's moved everything much earlier. As a matter of fact, there's a hospital across the street here, and I think there are probably agents sitting in the maternity wards looking for healthy mothers to sign them. So dramatically, it's moved everything uh, chronologically into a much younger age, and that's a major uh, adjustment. The second thing about it is that we all knew that you would have a ton of interest in players at the college level. College sports are are, uh, really entertaining and they have a huge following with alum groups and all that. What we didn't expect was that alumni from different universities would band together in collectives or in loose organizations and use their businesses to offer NILs to potential recruits. And so now you have sort of a split between the major five conferences and your schools like uh, Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan and and SC and Notre Dame. And those alums can put NILs into the mix when someone's deciding to go to college. Uh, And that's going to make a major impact too. So it's had mixed effects. Uh it's given players more freedom <clears throat> but it's had unexpected consequences.
1: Yeah, so let's take that a step further because I have to believe it's made the playing field even more mo- even more uneven across the board mm-hmm. because I, you know, if I'm a five-star quarterback, you know, my name image likeness is going to be way more valuable if I play at Georgia or Alabama, or you mentioned, you know, Notre Dame or Ohio State, then if I go play anywhere else, suddenly I'm thinking, you know, the, all those five-star players are going to be on four, five, six teams, and everybody else is going to be trying to figure out what to do with, uh, you know, guys that aren't rated as high.
3: And we've already seen a certain amount of that where the Georgias of the world are able to aggregate dominant talent, actually the whole SEC. But it takes you to a time in your mind where you think there may not be an NCAA connection with those conferences. They may just decide on their own that they can negotiate the television contracts, that they can brand themselves, that they can establish networks, that they can uh, put together rules which associate. And, and there is going to be a, a big leap. Um, the the <clears throat> Revenue that comes out of football and basketball dwarfs any other revenue. So this then becomes a support for the women's volleyball or or women's softball or the other sports. So what happens to that at the lower levels or the non-power five levels uh, is problematic, and you may see the non-revenue sports disappear. And since Part of what is supposed to be provided in college is many opportunities for education, including participating in sports for many athletes as possible. That may go by the wayside.
1: Lee, as a guy who went to Cal, what's your thought? How do you feel about schools like USC and UCLA moving over to the big 10?
3: Well, as a, traditionalists and having grown up on uh, the PCC and the Pac-8 and then it became the Pac-12 and all the rest of it, there's a whole bunch of rivalries like Cal versus uh, UCLA and, and SC versus Stanford, a bunch of rivalries you'd like to see, and I hope it doesn't affect or negatively impact, but I do understand that if UCLA or SC can make 30, 40, 50 million more dollars in revenue by being in a bigger conference. Um, why they would leave? And I, I think it's sad, but it's sort of the wave of the future. And <clears throat> imagine now the Big Ten negotiating a contract. They have the number one uh, market in television with New York and Rutgers. They have the number two with those two. Colleges in Los Angeles have number three with Northwestern and Chicago. They can do a nationwide television contract that's very dynamic.
1: Bob, more
2: for Lee? Yeah, Lee, we uh, we continue to see some transgressions off the field. Uh, we've had one this week with a Philadelphia Eagles player. I know it, they're no different than your normal citizens, and the, the percentages are probably you know very even. Across the board, as far as getting in trouble and things like that, but I know you're uh, you're very keen on this. As far as uh, with your clients, when you sign someone, Lee, is this is this a part of your conversation right at the very beginning? Their behavior, the opportunities that are available to to them um, at all times, both on and off the field, and uh, what things like this can do to them. So first of all. <clears throat>
3: I ask that players accept that they have a responsibility as role models, and if they'll retrace their roots and go back and set up a high school scholarship fund or a, go back to the college and and bond with the alums and at the pro level set up a charitable foundation with the leading business figures, political figures, and community leaders, they can make a really positive impact. <clears throat> the best way to prevent off-the-field incidents, is prevention, and it's talking through having a, a designated driver if some if you're going to a place rock or walking away from fights, <clears throat> and being careful in your interaction with the uh, opposite sex. And <clears throat> if athletes are not willing to accept those standards, <clears throat> then they can go play on a sandlot. And not expect all the rewards that come from being part of a professional sport that relies on fan support. And so they have an opportunity and obligation to uphold those standards and to understand that they're in a the sport that's a privilege and entertainment, it's a form of entertainment. So fans don't need uh, sports to get a car to drive to work or to to, uh, provide food, they look at it as an entertainment and you're competing against every other form of entertainment, whether it's uh, Netflix or Walt Disney World or the other sports. So part of the contract in essence that the player has with the sport is to uh, understand that they're living in a fishbowl, their behavior is being monitored all the time and they have to be careful.
2: And Lee, you've always been big on philanthropy and and requiring a lot of your clients to give back and everything. For Mahomes, you must be incredibly proud of what he does. I mean, his name always comes up. um, and, And the people that he's affecting, not just Kansas City Chief football fans, but off the field, maybe you want to mention some of the things he gets involved with?
3: Well, They have a foundation, a charitable foundation called 15 of the Mahomes, and it gives to 15 different uh, programs. And um, really, this speaks to the quality of someone's character, because if you like them on the field, you'll love a person like Patrick off the field because he's so grounded, so giving and uh, um, really sets a standard behaviorally that everyone can aspire
1: to. Lee, one more before we let you go. And a couple of weeks ago, you spoke about how success in life stems from genuine listening and human connection and drawing out people's deepest values and priorities by doing that, by listening, truly listening to them. Talk about how, you know, you listen to really understand what's truly important (laughs) to your clients.
3: So I think it's critical to hone listening skills. And that's a couple of the surface to really understand the value system and priorities of anyone that you deal with. Because if you can understand someone's deepest anxieties and fears and their greatest hopes and dreams um, and put yourself in the other person's heart and mind, see the world the way they see it then you can fulfill a client and navigate your way through life gracefully. But the key is getting below the surface, peeling back the layers of the onion. We all know men don't share their deep emotional feelings quite so easily. So you have to create trust around them and you have to create a sense of ease so that someone will relax and tell you what's key. Well, with a client, Whether it's short term economic gain or long term economic security, uh, geographical location, spiritual values, uh, family, um, uh, being a starter, being on a winning team, endorsement, whatever the values are, they're unique to that person. So you can't represent someone generically, but you have to be tuned in at a deeper level to what really is critical and important to them. And then you've got a chance to help them. Fulfill their dreams.
1: Lee, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can a get a copy of your book, follow you online and on social media, and about your Super Bowl party that's coming up.
3: Um, so we've got the big Super Bowl party. Uh, we're raising money for Nick Lowry's Homeless Champions for the Homeless. Uh, we have a Brain and Health Summit that will hold there, uh, trying to deal with the issue of concussion. We give humanitarian awards. Uh, Dave uh, Ziegler of the Raiders is getting one. Malik Jefferson is getting one. If you go online and look for the party, um, we always have it at a unique place. It's filled with big business, politics, sports, and entertainment. And you know, we'd love to uh, see you there. Otherwise, I I tweet at Lee Steinberg. Our website is at Steinberg Speaks and. Uh, um, it's, uh, uh, I can be reached in all of those ways, but it's always a pleasure to do this show because we've got tradition and heritage and you guys are great interviewers.
1: Ah, we appreciate that very much, Lee. It's always a blessing having you as part of the show. You're absolutely one of our favorites. That's why you're in our, I guest hall of fame. We hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon.
3: Thank you. And, and good night.
1: Thanks, Lee. <laughs> Thanks, Lee. That is the great Lee Steinberg, Bob, uh, just one of our absolute all-time favorites for, for many different reasons, not the least of which is how much he is out there promoting, just like you asked him a few minutes ago, making sure his guys are out there doing the right thing and starting foundations and giving back to their communities. That's one of the things that we love so very much about him.
2: I thought it was great what he said about prevention, Chris. I mean, it's not rocket science and he gets it. But, you know, he's been one of our friends for a long time. He'll drop everything to appear on this show. And uh, we learn something new every time he comes on. And uh, we're already looking forward to the next time we get a chance to spend some time with him. All
1: right, we've got our next guest, Tony Collins, hanging on the line. We'll get to Tony right on the other side of this real quick station break.
0: You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazeri, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys.
1: All right, now back with us is former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Tony, how are you, my friend? Hi, Tony.
4: Doing fantastic. How you doing, Chris and Bob? Oh, ah, we're hey, we're man. better now, Tony. Now
1: that you're here, <laughs> it's been a while, so it's good to hear you, my friend.
4: Oh man.
1: So, Tony. Since the last time we got together, we've gone through two rounds of the playoffs and over those two rounds, we've all gone four and two for me started out strong. I was four and oh in the division round then oh and two last week. You and Bob were three and one in the division round and one and one last week. We all thought the uh, Bengals would beat the chiefs. That didn't work out in our favor. And then you guys picked the Eagles. I had the 49ers. If I had known Brock Purdy, wasn't going to play and they weren't (laughs) going to be able to throw the ball. I might've gone a different way, but, That's how that goes, but because of all of that, tone. I'm sorry to tell you, yeah, yeah, Bob is clinched the prognostication championship. (laughs) He's back to back now, my friend.
4: (laughs) Hey, hey, Chris, we're gonna have to do something about that, man. We can't let him win.
1: I know,
2: three in a row. Right? we, We cannot let him win three in a row. Yeah, st- no 3 peats. I, I still get nervous at night. You know, I, I I I think of you two guys chasing me, and especially a former <laughs> running back. I I, get, I I still don't sleep well at night. So, uh, but well, was, we got that. It's been a great year. I mean, I mean, you know, Chris. I mean, if you can pick sixty percent of the games right, and we pick competitive games, sixty percent is good. To be over seventy, uh, I don't know if I'll ever be able to top that.
1: Yeah, right. Forty and sixteen, Bob. Can you wow. believe that, Tony? The guy goes 40 and 16. Yeah, that was that was
4: unbelievable.
1: Yeah, that's that's strong. You know, that's that's a once-in-a-lifetimer. Right but I'm
4: now. I'm coming for you, I'm coming for you next year. I feel <laughs> it already, Tony.
1: There you go. <laughs> Tony, I want to get your thoughts on the uh, on the championship games. What'd you think about what you saw with the Eagles and 49ers game? Bob and I were talking about it at the top of the show. I was surprised that they just put Purdy back in there just to take the snap and hand the ball off. Everyone knew he couldn't throw the ball. I thought for crying out loud, at least let Christian McCaffrey take the snap. And there's at least a threat of a throw. They had (laughs) none of that with Purdy. What'd you think?
4: I mean, you know, when, when, when Purdy went out and and Johnson came in, you know, you still, you know, there's still a hope, but when Johnson went down, it was just like, Oh man, this is, this is not good. It's not going to be good for him. And then when I knew he couldn't, throw the ball and all they did was (laughs) it's third and 15 and they're running sweeps uh they're in trouble but uh you know philly philly controlled the game man i mean offensively uh their offensive line and i think their defensive line too uh they were coming off the ball very well uh, offensively uh uh and and you know they 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 got to the quarterback man and that's something that they do and they do it very well
1: yeah i mean one of the things and Bob talked about it in our unsung hero of the week award with Gainwell. I mean, they got three, four running backs that could probably be starters on any other team. They run the ball so well. Then you throw in Jalen Hurts, who can who can obviously run the ball too. I mean, he was nothing spectacular in the air. I mean, I think he had like 120 yards passing, something like that. But they they just run the ball so well. That offensive line is so good opening holes. I mean, you they they're coming from all different directions. They're gonna to be tough to stop for you know when as we look ahead, you know, next week we'll do our Super Bowl picks. But for the Chiefs, well, you gotta have that that off that defensive line stout if you hope to stop any of those guys.
4: And and the thing about their their offensive line and their, their I guess their offense is they they still have that threat of Jalen Hurts uh with, with the fake. I mean, he can either hand it off or he can keep it himself. And that was that was holding, you know, holding uh, Boza. You know he couldn't, you know, couldn't make the plays that he wanted to make the plays because he had to contain Jalen Hurt. and they were just running up, up, up through there. You know, Kelsey was pulling; uh, he's one of the best, best at it, uh, coming from coming from that center spot. You you don't really see centers pulling <laughs> too many, uh, uh, too many of them in the NFL, but Kelsey does a great job of that, man. And they just control the offensive line, and that uh, that really that's really what won the game. I believe, I believe if Purdy would have stayed in a game Uh, it would have been more competitive game but i still believe that uh uh, the eagles would have came out on top
1: going over to the afc championship tone a lot of people pointing at the officials uh talking about you know how many calls that they missed maybe a little more biased towards the chiefs what'd you think were there any more questionable calls in that game than you've seen in any other game this year uh
4: you you know you, you got the you get those calls and you know you know, unfortunately, the last call uh, on the uh, the defensive end that when, when he knocked Holmes out, out of bounds and put him in field goal range, uh, it was clearly uh, a, a personal foul. You I mean he was definitely out of bounds, so you can't argue with that. But again, you know, you you, you can't depend on the refs to win games, especially in a in an AFC Championship game. That's something that you just cannot. Uh, do uh, uh, if you want to get to the Super Bowl and it just lets you know how hard it is to get back there man I, I thought Cincinnati had the tools to to beat Kansas City and I mean they're in the game though, the whole game and just that uh that that last play I, I just knew it was going to go into overtime uh, but that last play really really uh hurt them but I like I said again you just can't uh believe it uh Blame the refs. I mean, any, any player is going to tell you that, you know, you, you, I mean, unless this was a, it a, a, was a, a call that, you know, at the end of the game that lost the game for you because you, you, you know, you have to control that game. And, and Cincinnati did a great job, man, you know, playing uh, uh, in, in, and in, in KC. And I mean, they, they had a chance they have many chances to
2: win that game.
1: Yeah. Bob questions for tone.
2: Yeah. Tony more on the Bengals game. I, I, I'm under the impression correct me if I'm wrong I I think you can throw a lot against Kansas City but that day Burrow it just seemed ego got in the way maybe it's the coaching staff too they took too many shots way down the field I thought they could have thrown all day long short 10 15 pass 15 yard passes and killed Kansas City they just got away from that and on top of the mental mistakes obviously but I I just think a little bit of ego got in there that they could they thought they could do anything they want way down the field and it backfired.
4: Yeah, and and, and you know you, you got to look at another thing
2: too. When you get when you get into the
4: playoffs into championship games into the Super Bowl, uh I don't know how many yards rushing that the Bengals had, but I know it wasn't a lot. Uh,
3: and
4: and that's something that uh they're used to doing. I mean, they got a great running back, uh but you know, I, I you know, he wasn't a, a part of the game. I mean, he was Right, he was—he wasn't a part of the game at all, and so with that, and, and, and again, you know, Burroughs was trying to go deep, and you know, but he, he has, he has, he has those tools out there with Jamar. You know, sometimes you just have to throw it out there, and Jamar's going to get it. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, it, it it comes it comes back down when in a championship game, who who's going to control the line of scrimmage? That, whoever controls the line of scrimmage is going to win those games.
2: And Tony, we touched on this earlier in the show about mental mistakes. It seems like it's becoming more magnified throughout every sport. Um, You know, it it can cost you championships and we see it all the time. uh, Just stupidity, penalties. um, And I'm sure you are aware aware of it. I mean, for the most part, did coaches you had throughout your career at every level stress the mental part of the game?
4: Oh, absolutely!
2: I, I was. It's real funny you say that.
4: I was doing some reminiscing today. Uh, you, you, you can go on YouTube and watch a, some of the games uh, that 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 I played back in uh, eighty and eighty one, my rookie season. And uh, in my rookie season, we went two, two and fourteen, only went, only winning two games. But every game that we played, we were, we were in every game that we played because we had we had a talent of the team, but we just made so many so many uh, mental mistakes during those games and 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 you know for for a team to have that much talent that we had and only win two games the mental mistakes will kill you Mm -hmm. uh you know unfortunately for for Cincinnati um you know you you just gotta you just gotta know where you are on the field man you just can't make that that mental error I know the adrenaline is running going and you you're running and you're chasing the guy and you want to get him and but you just got to understand, you know, you can't make that kind of mistake. And, you know, unfortunately, that that was, I believe, it, it was the the, the 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 straw that broke the camel's back for them, you know, putting them in field goal range and uh, them actually, uh, uh, losing the game. But, again, mental mistakes is something that you cannot do at all in football.
1: Tony, want to get your thoughts on Tom Brady's retirement part two? <laughs> no, no fanfare this time around since he got that last year at this time. Do you think retirement sticks with him? Yeah, I think he's
4: gonna be good. I think he's gonna be making more money broadcasting late <laughs> in the NFL. So I think he's gonna be all right, man. You know, I I I I really want to see him retire uh after they won the Super Bowl in Tampa, but you know, you know, it's it's hard to do that when you love the game uh like, like Tom does and uh want to compete and uh, I, I know he didn't want to go out uh, the way he went out, but again, you know, it, it, you, you can't take none, anything from town. 23 years uh, playing in this game, playing in 10 Super Bowls, uh, winning seven and five MVP v- MVPs. I mean, what what else can you do, man? <laughs> I mean, right. So I, I, I'm kind of glad that he that he sat down, and uh, I was hoping that he he wouldn't try to take a chance and go into another team doing something that is, it, it was just, just way too much. And I'm so glad that he, he, uh, he, he's, he's retiring and, uh, he's not going to take any more hits, man. He, he's done his job. He's, he's, he's the GOAT. No question about
1: it. Do you think he signs a one day contract with the Patriots <laughs> to retire a Patriot? Oh, I'm pretty sure he will. I'm pretty
4: sure he, he'll, he will do that. Um, I, I know I, I met him a, a couple times. And he loves the Patriots. He loves New England, uh, um, uh, you know, that's where it all started for him, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen.
1: And Tony, with you know, with him gone, the Patriots over the last three seasons haven't been great. I mean, they finished below 500 two of the three seasons. It doesn't really feel like the Patriots are sold on Mac Jones as the guy. Where do you think your Patriots go from here?
4: You know, what we it, we got to have some change. I, I don't know who the office coordinator is going to be, uh, this year. Um, but uh we we gotta have some changes. Um I think Matt Matt Jones could be the guy. I mean, he, he I mean he's 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 not that he's not he's not a Mahomes, okay? He's he's not he's not there, he's not a Burroughs, he's not there yet. But I mean, I think with with the with the tools around him, he can get there, but he doesn't have the tools. And that's something that I, you know, the last three or four years. I mean, even when Brady was there, I was, I was, every time the draft came up, I was just, oh my God, why are we drafting this guy? I mean, why are we drafting this guy? We got to go after some, we got to go after some ballers, man. And uh, that's one of the things that New England's is going to have to do, man, in order to change this, change this uh, direction that they're going in, because I, I don't see them, uh, I don't see them making any any big steps next year if they don't get that go-to player, that go-to receiver, or that go-to tight end. Uh, their defense is 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 okay, but they don't have that offensive uh, explosive guy that, you know, they don't have a, I'll put it, they don't have a Lamar Chase, okay? They, they don't have that guy. And that's something that they need uh, to help uh, uh, Matt Jones. I, I I think Matt is, I think he's a good quarterback, man. he's not a great quarterback, but, but I think he can be a great quarterback. And, but what's going to help him with, the tools you gotta to have tools. If you if you're a carpenter, you don't have no tools.
1: <laughs> you just
4: work. You're work. You're just an <laughs> <a> average <laughs> carpenter,
2: man. You're just you a guy. No <laughs> yeah,
1: you're just a guy sitting on the couch at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bob, one more for Tony.
2: Yeah, Tony, I just want to get your reaction to the Mahomes injury. You know, I mean, high ankle sprains those can really curtail careers. This guy basically played on one leg. 2 weeks ago and then you know was a little better last week but you still see gimpiness. I'm sure you've experienced them Tony it's different obviously for a running back but tell us uh, your reaction, you know, how you got treated. I mean tell us about high ankle sprains and channel. Uh, high ankle
4: sprains man are, that's it's no joke. I mean uh, I I've, I've, I've had one uh I had one in college and um I was out for 3 weeks. And as a running back you know when you when you get a high ankle sprain you can't cut, you can't do anything as a quarterback it's the same thing now they say he didn't take a shot uh, uh I, I don't believe that <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> i was wondering the same
4: i do not i do not believe that i mean uh i've i've uh, i've had a high ankle spring before man and, and, it, and it really hurts it's it, it's it really really hurts and it, the mobility i mean I, I, okay i'll go back I'll, I'll put it to you this way the treatment that we had back in the 80s probably is a, a lot less you know how the treatment is right now i'm pretty right. sure he's got uh great treatment on it and different things that we didn't have back then but at the same time it's still a high ankle sprain uh and uh and, and i and it's still going to affect him uh uh in in two, in two weeks i mean you can't tell me that that he's going to be fine uh you know, I don't. I don't care what it is. Uh, how, how much treatment you get, it's just the fact that you, you got to stay off of it. Uh, and and that's the thing that's I, I think uh, the the Eagles are going to go after him. I mean, and that's that the Eagles can can get after you on that defense. They got some defensive players that are, that that'll come after uh, Mahomes and they get them out of that pocket and make them run. And if what happens if something goes wrong as far as somebody land, falling on that ankle during the game. Man, it, it's it's going to be, I, and and I, and I don't want that to happen because I want to see a good uh, uh, Super Bowl game. I, I don't want him to get hurt. I want him to play that whole game because I, I truly believe that Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, and uh, for him to get hurt in the, in the Super Bowl is just not. It, I mean, it it I, it it'll be a super. It'll be a, it'll be another uh, NFC Championship game that you know no, nobody wants to watch. But um, hopefully he'll be good. But uh. I just, man, this, this is going to be tough. It's going to be tough uh, being beating those Eagles uh, on Super Bowl Sunday.
1: Tony, one more before we let you go. And you mentioned looking back over your career, and we've talked about this with you before during this week and in, in previous seasons. But for those who haven't joined us in the past, I want to go back to your time getting ready to play in the Super Bowl. It was the season of 1985, played in January of eighty-six. You had two weeks between the AFC championship game and the Super Bowl. What was what were those two weeks like for you trying to prepare to play the 85 Bears, one of the greatest teams of all time, and then also dealing with all the distractions outside (laughs) of the game? You know, making the travel arrangements for the family, all the ticket requests coming. I'm sure left and right center for you. Talk about what those two weeks were like for you.
4: That was the biggest thing for me was my family, because, you know, I'm from a huge family. And so, so it wasn't just my 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 brothers and my sisters and my mom and my dad. It's my cousins and my uncles and my nephews and <laughs> everybody wants to come to the Super Bowl. And so, you know, trying to um, trying to uh, accomplish accomplish that and making sure everybody is where they're supposed to be and making sure everybody's doing good. Of course, I'm, I'm gonna take care of mom and dad. But it, the the biggest thing for me was my family and just trying to get tickets. I mean, I, I had to, I had to buy a lot of tickets for the Super Bowl, but, uh, uh, it, it wasn't an ex- uh, experience that you, you know, you, 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 that you no, know, not, not a lot of guys get, you know, I'll cherish that moment forever. Uh, you know, uh, the week, the week of, the week before, uh, just knowing that you, you're going to get, get a chance to play in a game that you dream about. And now you, now the reality hits that you're, you're in it it's a, it's a special, it's a special time uh, for these guys. And if you never gone some of these guys that haven't been to Super Bowl before, it, it, it's going to be a special time for them because it's, it's history, man. And, and that's, that's something that, you know, you, you dream about all your life as a, as a kid uh, trying to get there. And, and now you get there and uh, you want to play your best. And, but I'm going to tell you when, when the game started, <laughs> it just, it felt like another game. But up until then, man, you know, you got the media, uh, you know, coming at you. Um, It it was it it was pretty it was pretty uh, awesome for uh, just, you know, thinking about it now. It was pretty awesome. We were staying in the same hotel as the Chicago Bears were. Um, You know, this big Houston guy. I can't remember the hotel, but I know we were staying in because we we had curfew at 11 o'clock every night. And while, when we were coming in, they were going out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, we, we had curfew every night, but they, they only had curfew on, on game night. So uh, it, it was pretty cool, man.
1: Tony, before we let you go, remind our listeners again about how they can get a copy of your book and also follow you on social media.
4: Follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Tony Collins, B-W-Y-B. Uh, just trying to get those books out. You can just go to Amazon uh, to pick up, pick up one. And, and a lot of what we're doing now with the books, especially when, if you, if you buy it on Amazon, uh, uh a lot of things we're doing as far as uh, getting the books into the schools, uh, as well. So uh, Instagram, uh, uh, Facebook, Tony Collins, BWIB.
1: Tony, you're the best, my friend. We look forward to catching up with you again next week. We'll go through our Super Bowl picks between now and then all the best to you Have and your great family.
4: Week, Tony. God bless guys. Take care. See Later. you,
1: Tony. That's the great Tony Collins. We've got our next guest, Tom Murphy, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Murph right on the other side of this real quick station break.
0: Here, NFL legends, players, coaches, and media members from around the country sharing their insights and stories with us year-round. Here on Thursday night, tailgate, 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 tailgate.
1: All right, now we are back with one of our favorite people on the planet and a member of our listener <laughs> Hall of Fame, Tom Murphy. Tom is a co-host of One Patriot's Place, the podcast that you can find out there online. It's an award-winning one, and Tom's fantastic on it. He is also the baseball editor and writer for E2G Sports, and like I say, a member of our Listener Hall of Fame, a guy we are very thankful for and honored to have back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Murph, Chris and Bob, thanks for coming back
5: on the show. Chris, Bob, thanks for having me back. It's been too long, gentlemen. It's been too long. Amen. it
1: has. Murph, we want to start out by getting your thoughts. I'm sure you heard Tony Collins talk about uh, Brady's announcement for his retirement. Um, Your thoughts on Brady going out and did he wait too long? Did he go out just right Or And do you think it's going to stick this time?
5: Um, I'll answer the last one. Yeah, I do think it's going to stick this time. Um, I don't think he waited too long. I I'm in the minority here, but when you can play football at the level that Tom Brady has throughout his career and even up through last year. um, You have to give it one more shot. You have to give it one more go. Uh, He came back this year and honored his contract, even though he knew that uh, Rob Gronkowski wasn't going to be there. He knew that uh, that Brown was not going to be there. And it was it was going to be a difficult season, but um, just out of, I, I don't want to say out of pride, but out of a sense of commitment, I think that he came back and played this season.
1: So you don't think there's any opportunity that let's, let, let's say the Patriots next season get off to a good start. They're playing really well. They've got themselves in position to, to go into the playoffs, whether that's leading the division or, or certainly have an opportunity as a wild card. And then God forbid something happens to Mac Jones. You can't imagine a scenario where Robert Kraft gets on the phone and says, Tom, give me four games. Give me four games and get us into the playoffs.
5: That's a great question, Chris. That's really a good question. (laughs) Um, I don't ever want to say never, but it's about as close to never as you could possibly imagine. Uh, Tom's entire family is down there in Florida, with the exception of his oldest son, who's up here in New York. And um, I just think right now, Tom is going to focus on things away from football, Uh, I think uh, there's a really good chance that he gets into some broadcasting. But other than that, no, I I really I can't see him stepping back onto a uh, football field again The the opportunities that he had and he does have them um or basically on the West coast. And if he's not going to start and be all the way in from the get-go, I can't see him uh, coming back. Even, even with the familiarity of O'Brien and coming back here
1: to new England. What are your thoughts on Mac Jones? Are you sold? Is is he the guy? Do you think they, they stick with him or can you see them maybe going out into the free agent market and bringing in somebody else, or maybe even trading up to get someone high in the draft?
5: Uh um, no, they trading up to get somebody high in the draft. No, that's that's not the way it's it's gonna work here. You you've seen that um scenario play out in with other teams across the league for years, for decades, chasing that next guy instead of building around the guy that they have. Now Will Mac Jones ever be Tom Brady? No, hell no. Nobody will ever be Tom Brady. Will he ever be uh, an elite quarterback? What we call it? No, but, but he has the opportunity to be a very solid quarterback in this year, in this league for a decade, one that can lead its team to the playoffs year after year, as long as he has the support system around him that he needs and, you know, a playmaker or two. And now I, I, I personally don't buy into the playmaker uh philosophy that you have to have that playmaker to get into get to the Super Bowl. I think a good balanced attack and solid receivers are are the way to go. And you know, I I've I've long said that building an offense you have to do it from the inside out. And the last piece is that that uh you bring in are those those playmakers, those wide receivers. The the Randy Moss was the last piece in the that that the the Patriots needed for that almost perfect season. <laughs> and um, but but no, I I do think Mac is the man. I think he's going to be here for a long time. Uh, I think anybody that are talking about the demise of Mac Jones really don't understand what he had to go through this season.
1: Bob, questions from Murph. Yeah, Murph,
2: it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I'm always gonna, great. Yeah, I'm going to stick on the Patriots, Murph, uh, and and Belichick especially. He it seemed like this year there was a lot of discombobulated stuff going on, and especially yep. with Matt Patricia calling plays. We thought he was calling plays. Was it Joe Judge? There was no offensive coordinator. That was kind of an ego thing mm-hmm. by Belichick saying, you know, I can win without one maybe. Uh, yeah. a lot. Of, it was very strange. And I guess O'Brien is going to take over those duties from what I hear. Yep. Um, Belichick, you know, how long do you think he has left, Murph? Is he starting to feel the heat that, you know, I don't have much time left. I got to get a coordinator. I got to get some players here. Uh, where do you think he stands mentally right now?
5: Well, mentally, I think he he's just fine. Um, I think he's still totally engaged. I I believe that this uh, coaching staff says Bill made the mistake that a lot of coaches make um, a lot of uh, administrators make is the fact that they think coaches can coach anything. And you just can't do that in this day, uh, day and time. Uh, It's not 1985 anymore. It's not even, uh, you know, 2005 anymore. Uh, You, you need somebody who, knows the system that they want to run and can teach the system that they want to run quite frankly. And it's, it's, this coaching staff was spread entirely too thin this year. It was the smallest coaching staff in the NFL. And it was the most inexperienced coaching staff when it came to um, teaching what they were asked to do. Um, These guys had absolutely no background in this system whatsoever. Uh, You had Matt, Patricia, telling all pro linemen what they were doing. And, you know, the all pro linemen are like, guy, I've been doing this for 25 years. You just came over onto the side of the ball last week. I know exactly what I'm doing and exactly (laughs) what I'm doing wrong. And you are so far off base. It's unreal. Um, so, so yeah, there, there was, this is just a sense. This isn't any, any inside information that I have. It's just the fact that that these guys did not respect Matt Patricia in this role in any way whatsoever. They did not respect Joe Judge in this role in any way whatsoever. Joe Judge had absolutely no business coaching uh Mac Jones as a quarterback coach this year.
2: And Murphy, let's talk about the other team up here. I get a lot of questions about it myself, about the uh you know, the other team in the tri-state area, the Giants. Um, you know, after I they did obviously uh, I'm not gonna say they overachieved this year. Um I, I could think say you know, that. performed a lot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. But uh Dable obviously we could we found out he can coach. Um but he wouldn't even give Daniel Jones like a a vote of confidence at the end of the year. I think he he has him going in the right direction. But do you think Jones is the kind of guy uh we're hearing they can't keep both Jones and Barkley. I'm not sure about that. I What do you, where do you go from here? If you're, you're the giants,
5: you know, there, there, there's a way to keep them both. Don't let anybody tell you that there isn't Mm -hmm. a way to keep them both. I'm not somebody who, who believes the cap is crap. That that's, that's not what I'm saying at, at all, but there, there are ways to, to, to work the numbers, to make, make this work, um, for both players to keep both players in a giants uniform. And I, and I hope they do. Um, no, Dayball didn't give uh Mac Jones any kind of vote of confidence at the end of the year. And that I found that a bit surprising because I thought uh Jones really, you know, he he balled out for him. Uh he listened to what uh what Brian, he listened to what Brian had to say and and took it to heart and swallowed some pride and and ran an offense that that Brian Dayball wanted to bring to bring to New York. Now, everybody knows that Dayball can coach. Everybody's known that since he was here in New England, everywhere he's gone, he has done well. And those teams have succeeded. I don't think Josh Allen would be anywhere near the quarterback that he is uh, today uh, without Brian Dayball. Um, And more and more you saw, well, you know, not to take this up to Buffalo, but without Brian Dayball, He didn't have as good a season. He didn't have somebody there in his ear reeling him back in. I've said more on more times than, uh, more occasions that I can count. Even if I took my socks off guys that, uh, there's nobody on the planet that believes their press as much as Josh Allen does. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I don't disagree with that. Murph.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Murph As as you know, Bob and I are big red Sox fans want to get your thoughts on the move that they've made and uh, maybe ones they didn't make so far this offseason. The one they didn't make with was Xander Bogarts, and then the guys that they have brought in. Is this a team that can compete as it is right now? Can they compete in the, in the AL East this season, or are we a couple of years away until we get a Marcelo Mayer and and uh, and some of those guys that are you know in high A, double A, and maybe making their way to triple A? Are we a couple of years away still with this team?
5: Oh, yeah um <laughs> i i am not a fan of high and bloom if you follow me on twitter or if you read me you you know this without a fact i think that high and bloom is in over his head he's a terrible evaluator of talent i i understand that uh you know some people in in this business blame uh Blame ownership for wanting him to get underneath the the salary uh, cap, uh, not the cap, but you know, underneath the luxury tax threshold. What High and Bloom has done to this team, and what John Henry has done to this team, in the hopes that they rebuild what this team already was, is one of the most nauseating things that I've been able to watch in baseball in my fifty years on the planet. It is it is uh, god awful. Um, Prospects are just that; they're prospects. Um, I'm telling you right now, I've seen Blaze Jordan play baseball. Blaze Jordan will never play in the major leagues. Really? Really. Blaze Jordan will never play in the major leagues.
1: Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, when I look, when I look in, you know, I'm here in Atlanta and, and Greenville is not that far away. My son and I are probably going to go over there and check out that team because they do have Blaise Jordan and Marcelo yep. Mayers over there. And yep. They've got some good young talent that I, that I feel like, is uh, a couple of years away from being in Fenway, and yeah, Blaze Jordan's a guy I I thought they were pretty high on, and they were, well, they-,
5: they are, <laughs> <laughs> they 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 definitely are. They're they're very high on a lot of these prospects, but you can see a lot of the prospects that that um, Bloom is responsible for just completely conk out on on the way here. This is a man that traded away Mookie bets for absolutely nothing, and the centerpiece of that trade was released weeks ago, right. All right, he's another kid that I watched play baseball for maybe I want to say 20 innings, 20 innings of of baseball. And I knew that this kid was never going to never going to make it. it. It just wasn't happening. If you saw him swing a bat, you knew that there was nothing he was going to be, be able to do with Major League breaking balls. It, it's just it, it, it's not there. If you're a coach, if you're a scout, you can see these things. And the Red Sox have completely gone away from scouting and gone with the with with what is out there on the computers and and what the the rankings are when it comes to to drafting people. Now, will will a couple of the the players that that he picked over the past couple of years do well and and reach the major leagues? Sure, he was picking so high you couldn't miss. But um, what he watched walk out the door over the past year is is what teams uh kill to have as cornerstones of a uh of an offense there are uh, of of a ball club as a matter of fact and it, it, it's just it's it's dumbfounding to me to allow these players to walk out the door or trade them away and not uh and hang your hopes on a bunch of kids that you don't know are going to uh to work out
1: yeah, so let let's take that a half step further, and I'm I'm assuming you mean Xander Bogarts when yep. you when you drafted uh, Marcelo Mayer with a number one pick, and uh, and then the, earlier this year their number one pick was also another shortstop. Yep. When when you're when you're putting that kind of draft capital in the same position,
3: mm-hmm.
1: giving Xander Bogarts mm-hmm. an eleven year deal. Doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure it makes a lot of sense for the San no. Diego Padres because you know, when, when Xander's 36, 37, 38, 39, right. not sure what you're going to do with him. So I, you really got to win one now,
5: but you, you you really do. You really have to win. Now you've got to, if you're San Diego, you have to make it work. But what, what a lot of people are, are forgetting is that if Bloom didn't insult Bogarts with his offer last spring, uh, this deal could have gotten done at a much lower level at quite a few uh, uh, less years on the deal. And uh, people that the Red Sox watched, Red Sox uh, nation watched grow up here uh, would be able to do that for at least another five or six years. And you can't tell me that Xander Bogarts is gonna keep balling out for another five or six years. Right.
1: What's you know, your thoughts on Garrett Whitlock? I mean, they, they sort of, you know, we're both he and Tanner how they're, yeah. they're relievers They're starters, they're relievers. Yeah.
5: Could you please stop jerking these guys around? Right. Please. <laughs> um, yeah, I I've, I've coached baseball for a long time and by the eight, by, you know, the age of 16 and 17 years old, you know, what high school players are, you know, what they're going to do, uh, how they're going to be successful? There, are, there are kids out there that are starters, that that are relievers, and and that's what they have in their head, um, and they can they can change and they can adapt. They just can't do it back and forth and back and forth. You know, yeah, we're going to stretch you out. Now we're going to put you back in the bullpen because we don't have enough arms back there. I think Whitlock is is a fantastic reliever. I think he could be a really good starter, but but stop jerking him around. Tanner Houck is a reliever. Okay. That's it. He he's, he's a seven, seventh eight, seventh, eighth, uh, any kind of guy that's where he's going to, to have his most, the most success in his career. And I think that's where he should stay.
1: Bob, one more for Murph.
2: Yeah. Murph, I got to get your opinion on Chris sale. I mean, here's a guy oh God. that is uh won 11 games <laughs> in the last four years, yeah. the injuries and he'll be 34, uh, when opening day arrives. Um, can you really count on him? What do you think, I mean, is it, is it going to go down as a nightmare signing and what do you expect from him this year?
5: Short answer? Yeah. Yeah. It's a nightmare signing. Um, I, the amount of money flushed away on, on Chris sale, it has, has been uh, unbelievable. Uh, The, the last, I I can't remember uh, a signing as bad as this it's, you know, at least the guys got out there and played, it's just every other week there is something. We live in a we live in a in a world right now where everybody has a phone out and it's recording everything that they've. I've yet to see anybody show me a a a, a tiny little clip of him dumping his bike on the green. <laughs> <laughs> you know how how is that possible? How is that possible? <laughs> um, th- this man he 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 hails from the the land of fragile. You know, small <laughs> island off the coast of of Italy. You know, just a little speck in between Italy and Sicily lies the 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 island of Frigile, and he, that that's 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 what the man is, and it, it, he's not going it, to. It just doesn't work out with some guys. And for all the talent that he has, and when he's on and and clicking, and thank you very much for helping win the World Series that year. It, it's a bad signing. I, I I'm I'm glad for him. I'm glad for his family. They're set for life, but um you know it it has really put a damper on the way John Henry um goes at about building a team. And and quite quite frankly, he doesn't he doesn't need to. He really doesn't. This is a man who spent three hundred and sixty million dollars to buy this team. It is now worth two point nine billion. This team carries zero debt. He owns a newspaper and a um and a uh, television station that that are basically a uh a license to print money. Yeah, no and the hockey debt. team. Yeah, and a hockey team now, and a and a, and a, uh, and a soccer team over there. But right. but just sticking with the Red Sox, you carry no debt, none, and you are worth $2.9 billion. You have an operating cost of under $200 million, and you earn close to $300 million a year. That's just what's on the books. And you're telling me that you can't afford to sign these superstars that we watched grow up and then go out and spend a little more money while you're waiting for these prospects. Prospects are just that gentlemen, they're prospects. You never know how it's going to work out with them.
1: Murph, one more before we let you go. How's Butchie doing? And when are we going to see him in a Red Sox uniform?
5: (laughs) No, he's doing great. He's going to be playing twilight this year. That's going to be a lot of fun for him. Uh, there there's, there's some talk that'll he go up and play some Cape league ball this year. If he gets his butt back into college, um, he'll be able to do that, but no, he's fantastic. Hopefully somebody sees him on a mound, uh, this summer and, and gives him a shot. Uh, I believe that that's all the kid needs is, it, is just the right moment and the right shot. He's still only 19 years old and he's still going right now. He's just going out there and having fun. He's, mm-hmm. he's enjoying the wood bat stuff and he's having a good time and working really hard.
1: There you go. I appreciate Tom, that question. Tom, let our listeners know how they can uh, listen to your show. Plus follow you on social media and read you online. Of course. Oh,
5: thank you guys. Um, You can, you can follow me on the, the bird app as we like to call it at tmurph 207. You can read me over at e2gsports.com. Uh, and of course, every week, you can hear me on uh, on e 2 You can also get it on Stritcher and Sprinter and, you know, everywhere else. And and now we're on YouTube. Please, please rate and subscribe over there to uh, One Patriot's Place. And every Monday, I, you can catch me on Locked On Patriots with Mike Diabate.
1: There you go. Good shout out for Mike. Another really good oh, guy. Oh, yeah.
5: Great guy. Love. Great guy. Fantastic guy. Uh, I, I want to thank you guys for, for having me on. It, it's a pleasure. And like I said, it's been too long, gentlemen.
1: We'll do it again soon. Appreciate it, Murph. All right. Murph, Thanks, take guys. care. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Oh, soon. You,
5: all of you, all of you too.
1: Take Thanks. Care. See you, Tom. That is Tom Murphy again at team Murph 207 is where you can follow him on social media. One Patriots place is the podcast. Just one of our all-time favorite people. Bob.
2: Yeah, we, uh, we go back and forth a lot with, Murph on Twitter, always interesting stuff, especially during baseball season. And he doesn't hold back, Chris, and he kind of got him like we like. So
1: uh, <laughs> we, uh,
2: we look forward to uh, spring training and what Murph has to say as that season continues.
1: Yes, we do. <laughs> All right, we've got our next guest, Brian Baker, hanging on the line. We're going to get the big right on the other side of this real quick station break.
0: You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazeri, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys.
1: All right. Now back with us is new Georgia Tech senior defensive analyst for the defensive line, Brian Baker. Brian has been a great friend of the show for a very long time, going all the way back to July of 2012. So we're coming up on 11 years of having Brian as part of the show. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Baltimore, Maryland. Played his college ball at the University of Maryland, where he helped the Terrapins win the ACC conference title in 1983. Following year, he became a graduate assistant there at Maryland. Uh, He graduated with his degree in marketing. His resume says he's been coaching for over 35 years now, but as we've said many times in the past, he's clearly got the fountain of youth in his backyard because if it wasn't for a couple of gray hairs, and his beard, the guy barely looks like he's 35 years old. How, over the co- course of his coaching career, he's been at Maryland, Army, Georgia Tech, the Chargers, the Lions, the Vikings, the Rams, the Panthers, the Cowboys, the Browns, the Redskins, Mississippi State, Alabama, the Colts, Coastal Carolina, and now back for a second stint at Georgia Tech. And we are honored he is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Brian, Chris, and Bob, how are you, my Hi, friend? Coach.
6: Guys, how are we doing this, this, this evening? Oh, good.
1: fantastic, Brian! Good. How you been, man?
6: I've been good. I've been busy bouncing around these last uh, three or four years, as you uh, found out when you uh, didn't know I was here. <laughs> That's
1: right. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're back at Georgia Tech. So, tell t- you know, talk to us about that because this time last year, we had Marco Coleman on the show who, who uh, just a, a week or two later left Georgia Tech to go to Michigan State as uh, as their defensive line coach, and now he's back at Tech. And, uh, and here you are. So talk about how all that came together.
6: Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, Marco leaving here to go to Michigan state, I guess he thought was a better opportunity for him. I'm just, uh, at that time, I'm really happy, uh, that, uh, coach Brent Key, the new head coach here at Georgia tech decided, uh, to get Marco back. Uh, it really made this opportunity for me a lot more inviting. Uh, you know, I, I had the pleasure of coaching Marco. Uh, here at Georgia Tech uh, before, you know, as a, co- a collegiate athlete and, uh, and he was outstanding and all American and helped our team win a national championship and, and all that good stuff and had an opportunity to coach him uh, in professional football, too, with the Chargers. So Marco and I have had a long relationship. Uh, so him coming back as the defensive line coach was uh, was a, was a uh, uh, one of the enticing things uh, when the head coach called and asked, would I be interested in coming back as a senior analyst?
1: And Brian, you've talked to us in the past about what a nomadic life coaching is. Talk about that and the mentality of fire that guy.
6: <laughs> yeah, you know it's 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 funny when uh, when you you hear fans and and in some cases even the uh, the analysts on on uh, the sports talk shows and uh, on TV and the very first thing they talk about when things aren't going right is hey, they need to, you know, make a change, they need to fire a guy, you know, and sometimes that's true, sometimes it isn't, sometimes coaching is a result of um, circumstances, you know, heck, I've seen staffs move as a result of a bad officiating call, and that's no exaggeration, so, I mean, there are a lot of things that go into it, but one thing that is definite, when when coaches move on, you know, it affects a lot more than just uh, the team that they're leaving, It, it affects the lives of that coach and other, and if it's a head coach, possibly guys on the staff and their families and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, I don't know what the average is the average stay is now for coaches at one place, but uh, I certainly helped bring the average down, I guess. (laughs) uh, (laughs) So when you talk about the nomadic nature of this profession uh, you know, I, I certainly embody that, you know, three years at one place, two at another one, one bounce around and that kind of thing, especially particularly the last probably 15 years and good stops, good places, uh, been with good staffs, good, good players, uh, great opportunities. Um, you know, the things haven't worked out and you end up bouncing around.
1: Brian, I want to get your thoughts on the rivalry here between Georgia tech and the university of Georgia, the last go around, when you were here, you helped tech beat Georgia a couple of times and you had a couple of close calls and games with them, but tech hasn't beaten Georgia in the last five years. And it really hasn't been close. If you look at the last three games, tech's been outscored by Georgia, 134 to 21. How do you get your, yeah. But how do you get your players in the mindset that not only can they play with a team like Georgia, but they can also beat them.
6: Well, the first thing they have to focus on is being the best players they can be. I think that's true with players you know whether it's to to win in a robbery or to win a a, a conference championship or just to win the next game uh the first thing they have to do is is focus on being the best they can be and then from a coaching standpoint we have to then convince them that if we can get them to be the best that they can be then that'll be you know good good enough for us to compete and beat uh anybody and and that's the that's the You know that's coaching that's what it's all about right it's about teaching it's about motivating and it's about convincing guys uh to put in the work to become the best that they can be uh they do that they'll you know may have some disappointments uh but they'll never have a regret
1: bob uh questions for brian yeah
2: brian it's always an honor to speak with you again and i want to go back to the nomadic lifestyle i think we brought it up before Uh, you know, you have a wife, you've had four daughters, you've been all over the place. Uh, You know, it it takes an incredibly understanding woman to have to deal with this. And of course, the family in general, the flexibility and everything. uh, You must feel very, very fortunate um, to have such an incredibly understanding family. Talk a little bit about that.
6: Well, and I appreciate that question, Bob. Thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, first and foremost, I feel blessed that The moves that we've had—I mean, I've never had a a daughter that, that, or my wife and I, you know, since really since we've been married, uh, we we haven't been in the same home for more than uh, five years, and that's been only once. Uh, My daughters have moved all over the country, uh, you know, since you know they were infants. I mean, they don't know really anything else. Um, The the thing that's I'm most grateful, and you know, by the grace of God, they turned out really, really well. Um, you know, three uh, real high high achieving daughters, Um, you know, one's about to go back and get a doctorate. One just graduated from Georgetown law school uh, Mm. last spring and, you know, spoke at the commencement ceremonies. First one to do that there at Georgetown. And got another one, actually, I don't know where you guys are, but I've got one that just left a couple of days ago to Phoenix. Uh, She's working for Fox sports and she'll be, uh, helping them with the Super Bowl stuff, and she's a junior at UNC uh, in, in sports broadcasting. So she wants to do what you guys are doing, um, you know. For whatever reason, I ain't figured that one out yet either. But <laughs> I try to, I try to get her to be an engineer. She, she didn't want to be an engineer. <laughs> I said, "Hey, that's." This broadcast and stuff this is too close to coaching. You you get too many moves in you, man. Go be an engineer you don't want to do this. But uh but no, she wanted to follow her path. She hit me with the dad. You you, you spent your whole your whole adult life doing what you love to do. Why wouldn't you let me do that? And then I, I obviously didn't have a rebuttal.
1: So uh <laughs> that's so a tough one.
6: It is, it is. So she's in the husband school there at UNC and doing really, really well and really proud of all three. So I'm really thankful that the 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 uh the moving around has not been a detriment to them. Um, They didn't know any other way and and they achieved. And that again, glory to God, but, and then much thanks to my wife who really navigated those situations uh, tremendously and made, you know, made the new place uh, as much like the old place. And, you know, eventually you find out your foundation is really your family and your faith. And I think that's what the girls went through, but, you know, it's tough. For us as coaches, it's, you know, kind of same play, same thing, different place, right? You sit down, you know, you're, you're with a different group of guys, but, you know, you're you trying to do the same thing that you did somewhere else. Uh, you know, scheme-wise, maybe a little different, but with the same goal and maybe do it a little better, right? So from that standpoint, the change is nearly not even close to as significant with us as coaches as it is with our families.
2: Brian I've always been I've always been really interested and and fascinated by the service academies you know I've had I've been fortunate to have lunch with the Coast Guard people up here in Connecticut over the years and you spent that year at Army in 86 and it's just there's just something different about service academies these coaches at Coast Guard would tell me you know Football, it's not about football to these guys. They're going to be doing underwater expeditions and this and that it has nothing to do with that. They just play for the love of the game and the discipline involved. You were privy to all this. Talk about that experience back in the 80s at Army. Well, and that, again, great questions tonight, guys. And that's, that
6: is exactly right. My only regret of being in Army was that I was too young to truly appreciate uh, the young men that were there. I wasn't much older than they were. Uh, when I got that job and, uh, you know, with me being young and single I coming from University of Maryland, which was, you know, right there between Baltimore and D.C., I was like, man, this is like the sleepiest place I've been to in my in my life. <laughs> so, so I didn't. have. So my 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 comment, Bob, would be more or Chris, whoever asked the question, would be more in retrospect and uh, from a, a, a certainly much more mature a vision point than it was when I was living it. And and you're right about those guys. What a special group. I, I still have a relationship with some of them. Um and and they've gone on to do again what you would expect they would do, right? Uh be successful. Uh unfortunately some of them have been lost to war uh and serving our country, but uh, which is certainly the downside from from uh uh you know that being in the academies but the type of young men the excitement they had for football was incredible. I mean, that was their relief, right? So, uh, you know, take the uniform off, no more saluting, you know, back then we were running a wishbone. So, you know, guys were crabbing and clawing and cutting and, you know, ball being run downhill and hot tight fold and all that kind of good old stuff back when, you know, football was actually handed off instead of throwing every fricking snap. Uh, yeah. Fun days. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Uh, So, you know, and those guys really embodied that. I mean, they were physical and it was fun. And the camaraderie that they had there as as, uh, teammates uh, at at West Point, uh, I think certainly enhanced what they had as as, uh, the camaraderie camaraderie they had as as fellow soldiers. So uh, to be a part of that um, and a small part of it, uh, as it was, was still a very valuable thing to experience.
1: Ryan, speaking of old-style football, we've maintained that running the football and playing good defense is always going to be the recipe for winning championships. I think that's the reason why Georgia dominated TCU. Their defense was just bigger, faster, and better. Our good friend J.J. Burton always likes to say that offense sells tickets, but defense wins championships. Do you agree? Is that still always going to be the recipe for winning championships? Is the the same thing that 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 won it in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. You go out there and you run the football really well. You talk about running downhill. You run the football well. You play solid defense. You're probably going to be in the mix.
6: Yeah, and that's and history tells you know says that right. I mean, yes, I agree because history agrees with that statement. And and but it's funny, you know, especially when you get in this time of year, you know, as we call it, the hiring cycle, uh, both collegially and, and in the NFL you know, everybody's looking for the dynamic offensive mind, right? The young guys that know how to put the ball in the air and, you know, in college give you all the different formations and all the RPOs and, and all that kind of stuff. But yet, like you said, it's the, it's the team with the, you know, those defenses that you can't run the ball on or, or the quarter, you know, get the quarterback off the spot or put him on his back. And, and uh, you know, those offenses that can control the ball and control the clock without always launching it 50 yards down the field. Now you have to do that some, right? That's football, but that part's always been football too. You know, you use the run game to to set up an explosive passing game, and, and if you can have two uh, two lightning bolts on the side that can take the top off the defense, then you make the defense play honest and puts a little stress on them. But at the end of the day, uh, the teams that can run the ball, stop the run, the teams that can rush the passer, uh, you know, as as the final four show. Right. That those four teams that we just uh, saw play in last week's championship uh, weekend, uh, that they, they prove that. And, you know, so have the other ones. And again, history is what it is. So I absolutely believe that. I wish the, hire, the hiring cycles reflected that. You know, I'd love to see more defensive coaches get hired. I'd love to see, you know, those guys. I, I, I overheard something today uh, about uh, one of the really good defensive line coaches in the league and his team still playing. And and they were you know mentioning about him possibly being a defensive coordinator. Then somebody else made a comment. Well, you know he's a defensive line coach, so he doesn't know coverages and all that. Well, that's an assumption, right? That all we know how to do is just coach the front. I think good football coaches understand football, and to understand football, you understand all 11 guys. Uh, so I, I I it kind of you know kind of brushed me the wrong way. I almost called in. I don't ever call in, but I almost called in and said <laughs> that's a bunch of crap. You know, what <laughs> I mean? don't, don't pigeonhole us, but yet, you know, you, you get, you get, you get some coach that can throw for 5,000 yards and he's the hottest, he's the hottest coaching prospect in the world. So I don't know. Hey, thanks for letting me bend a little bit on that one, fellas. No, um, let's take that <laughs> but
1: let's take that a step further, Brian, because I think we, as we just summed up and I, and I, I still think it's predominant out there that people know The defense wins championships that, that didn't become a cliche last year. I mean, it's been around forever. Why is it that a guy that is a really, really good defensive coordinator? Yeah. You you may not be able to draw the plays up on, on, and that's why you have an offensive coordinator that can help you out. And I'm not saying that you can't, but you know, if you're a stud defensive guy, like you are, why can't that guy be the hot coach?
6: Yeah, I I don't know the reason that I just know historically he hasn't. Uh typically the the uh the head coaches that have come from the especially the defensive front, you know, linebackers and and particularly defensive linemen, uh, you know, I mean there's been a couple of guys, you know, people forget Jimmy Johnson started out as a as a defensive line coach uh you know years ago. And there's been a couple of guys, you know, Romeo Cornell was a defensive line coach and um probably missing a, a few others, but uh, but certainly, historically, there hasn't been many both either on either side of, uh, of, of Bali, you know, not either side of ball, but both, either college or NFL. Uh, and I don't know the reason for that other than the stereotype, you know, around the, the, the defensive front coaches, uh, secondary coaches, because of their knowledge of coverages, I guess, is assumed that they can go and be better coordinators and head coaches, which, you know, I mean, yeah, there's some sharp secondary coaches, but, you know, they don't they don't. Uh, uh, you know, it, there, there's more than just them, you right. know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, so I don't know the answer. I just, you know, kind of like defensive winning championships, just history tells me that's that's the way it is, but I don't know exactly uh, exactly why that is that way. But I was right. definitely not, I was, let me just say it, I was definitely not trying to push myself into that category. Uh, uh, you know, that wasn't my reason for saying it. Uh, My reason for saying that was just because I know a lot of really talented defensive line coaches who would be great head coaches. uh, If for no other reason that they know how to to motivate uh, different type of men. I mean, if you go to any any room, any position room uh, on on any team collegiately or in the NFL, certainly the more very diverse personalities uh, are in the defensive line. So to get those diverse personalities to, to work in unison and to uh to uh you know two jobs to get away from the guy in front of them and get to the ball right the offensive line gets all the credit but all they have to do is stay in front of the defensive guys you know defensive guys had to get have to get those guys out of the way and then get to the ball right so we we got two jobs to do but those guys to get that done i think you know kind of deserve a little bit more credit than they get
1: amen to that Brian, you've coached a lot of great players. We've talked about Marco Coleman. You saw Darius Leonard when you were there in Indy with the Colts. Who are some of the players that when you first met them and you saw them go through a practice, really thought to yourself, you know what? This guy's special.
6: Well, you know, and probably the the defensive lineman uh, that jumped out as soon as you started talking, that was Julius Peppers. Uh, The way he practiced was incredible. I mean, he was uh side line to side line, end zone to end zone, uh, all the time. Uh and you know, now again, things came simple, simpler to him, nothing simple, but simpler to him. He was he was physically the most talented, certainly the most talented two hundred and fifty plus guy, and he was two ninety, but the most the most talented two hundred and fifty plus man I've I've ever seen. And that's saying a lot because you know, Demarcus Ware would be in that two fifty group and you know, he would, you know, those two would arguably be in that same area. Uh, but the way Julius practiced was was incredible. Uh Junior Seau, God rest his soul, I didn't coach junior, but was there in San Diego with him, uh, he'd be the first, he'd be out so early just be he and the kickers. And he'd be out there catching punts. He loved football so much. And uh and just, you know, you couldn't you'd have to throw him on the sideline during the period of time when the offense emphasis, but uh, you know, he'd be out there wrecking shots just because he couldn't stay on the sideline. He loved to play so much and he practiced so hard. So, uh, you know, Barry Sanders, another one, you know, he'd take the ball and you heard all those rumors about him taking the ball and ended up in the end zone. He did. There were times that, uh, you know, we actually moved moved the ball up closer to the end zone so we could get Barry (laughs) a little bit more involved in consecutive plays without having to wait. Uh, So, you know, the great ones are the great ones. Not just by talent, and not just by what they do on Sundays. It's by what they do every day. Uh, I've witnessed that. I, you know, I mentioned those three or four. I could have mentioned a dozen more easily. Um, you know, because i what I could, what I can't mention is any great ones that didn't work hard. That that's that. What I that's I know like zero. Right. That comes up, and nobody fills that box uh, because there are no great ones that doesn't work hard. And that's and that's probably the biggest benefit i have over the years to share with these guys here at on the flats here at georgia tech you know is that no matter how talented you are uh, if you're really going to achieve your maximum potential you got to do it every day it's got to be a mindset you know when you wake up in the morning you know you challenge yourself hey let's do something to get better today and then you know when you brush your teeth before you close your bed at night you ask yourself the question you know did i or did not and then you know you got to deal with that answer but uh, but that's, that's been, that's been probably the most valuable thing I've experienced over the last, uh, close to 40 years
1: coaching. Without naming names, did you ever have a guy that had all the talent in the world, but didn't have the work ethic to get it done? Thought he was all that. Maybe a kid who grew up, everyone telling him how great he was, this, that, and the other, and then got to a higher level, whether college or, or in the NFL, and had all that talent, but he let it go to waste because he didn't want to work hard?
6: Well, yeah. I think they get distracted. Um, You know, to say flat-out lazy, not as many of those guys as guys that got distracted and lost the ability to focus on being good. Uh, Guys that had, you know, because being talented can be a curse, too. Uh, You can get in a habit where you can do just enough. And doing just enough when it's not your best really isn't enough, right? So you're doing just enough just to be good, just enough to be talked about. But as you move up the ranks, you know, and you you get in the habit of, of doing just enough, then all of a sudden you run out, right? Because just enough isn't, isn't enough because your best is required. So I've run into more cases of that than just flat out guys that wouldn't work or guys that get distracted off the field and then they can't produce on the field. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of guys run into my run into my vision right now as I, you know, as I make those descriptions. There are a lot of names in those categories, uh, both collegiately and they, and actually even in the NFL. The deal with the NFL is that you get there, and you know, some of their some of their dreams and aspirations was just getting to the NFL. So when they get to the NFL, mission accomplished. You know, wow. and that's that's where it stops, and you can kind of see that. Right. When you're encouraging them, you're talking to them and you can see that that next thing that needs to come out of a man. It just didn't come out. Right. You just it just didn't. It just didn't there. They don't know how to reach it. And, you know, as a coach, you know, I failed a couple of times and not being able to reach it. Uh, But you you know that if you could get to it. okay, And you can help pull it out and help him push it out. Then you got a chance to have a really good guy. You know, when people make those, you know, I, I hear, you know, heard it. Uh, this weekend when they talk about these guys who were under-recruited or late bloomers or you know uh, late picks the parties of the world and and all of those kind of guys well the reason those guys achieve beyond what you know quote-unquote is expected I say quote-unquote because they wouldn't achieve if they didn't expect greatness from themselves is that they were willing to put in the work to do to maximize their ability. So to say a guy like, you know, that quarterback of San Francisco is playing above his ability, that's impossible. You can't play better than you are. Okay. What happened is he got under evaluated, right? And but he didn't believe what everybody else said about him. He knew what he was. And he, you know, kept himself about the business of being the best he could be. And being the best he could be is pretty good. Uh so you know, I think there's that's the key. That's why you've got, again, so many quote unquote three star guys, guys who are barely recruited, and they're having long careers in the NFL, and you got some five guys, five star guys, you know, that they can't even do what they're supposed to do in, in college. So uh so you get all of those things and I've seen all of those things. I've seen examples of all of it, right? Underdrafted guys uh or not drafted at all see a college free agents, you know, end up, you know, playing 14 years in the league. You know, Leroy Glover uh low round pick got cut by the uh, by the Raiders early on but you know nobody could ever tell Roy he was a bad football player because he knew he was a great football player. He just had to have an opportunity to prove to everybody, you know, and now his ring, his name is on the ring of honor at, you know, in New Orleans. So, you know, there's stories like that all over. Um and and it's because those guys, you know, matched maximized everything they had and they just touched that spot, right? that they had inside of them that made them a little different than everybody else. Even those guys who were more talented.
1: Bob, a couple more for uh, Brian before we let him go.
2: Yeah. uh, Just one more from me, Chris. I I wanted to ask coach about the uh, one quick question about Nick Saban, Brian. I mean, you spent the year 2019 down there and I've been asked this question and you would be the guy to kind of maybe give some insight into it. He's going to turn 72 this year. Uh, people ask me, you know, he has nothing to prove. How many titles does he have to win? This and that. In my opinion, he's probably sticking around to get Alabama to the back to the top of the the uh, college football world. I could just see that maybe motivating. And what's your opinion on that? You know what? I'm gonna give
6: you a crazy answer, but I really believe it's true. Okay, I think Nick is chasing excellence. I think he'll be coaching the 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 one time he may even consider stop coaching is when he gets to a level where he's coached the team where mm-hmm. all those guys play absolutely as, as, as well as they could possibly play, where each guy on the roster maximized his potential. He added incredible value to himself, and he looked at it and says, okay, this is the best job I could have done with a team. I think at that point he might consider retiring because that's what he talks about. He doesn't talk about winning and losing. He talks about guys maximizing their ability. Hmm. You know, if you win by 30, okay, well, let's look at it and see how the guys play, all right? We won by 30 because we were more talented, but these guys didn't play as well as they can play. We got to fix that, you know, and I'm putting it <laughs> mildly uh, <laughs> when it comes to things like that. Uh, you know, or, you know, it, it, whether you win a big game by a small margin, it's it's always the same with him. It's the process. It's the pursuit of excellence. It's it's uh, uh, him having a vision for the program and for each and every player. So when that is, you know, when you're looking to see if a guy's maximizing his ability, he has a really good feel for what that is. Hmm. And when that's not happening, he wants to know why. So I think. I don't think it has anything like, you know, say, OK, if he wants another national championship. Will he do it? I, I I truly don't think that's it unless he feels like, you know, that team actually played as absolute as well as they could absolutely play. Mm -hmm. Uh, If that happens, then he may consider. I mean, if Nick's 80 years old coaching, I don't know that anybody who who's ever worked for him would be surprised. Um, You know, I I, I really don't. I I, I wouldn't have said that prior to coaching with him or for him. Right. You know, coach with Nick, you coach for Nick. Uh, You know, so I I would not have had that 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 impression before seeing just how relentlessly he pursues, uh, excellence and how, how, uh, uh, you know, just from a ritual standpoint, stays, uh, uh, in tune to the process. I mean, that's, those are the two things, you know, it's not winning and losing, winning and losing are a result of, of, of him dealing with those other two things.
1: Brian, before we let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media?
6: Well, I am on Twitter, uh, defense or D F E coach B A K E bake Bank, on Twitter. That's really all. I think I'm on LinkedIn too, but I don't know how to do all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm still, I'm still old school, man. Remember when I started this thing, it was barely an internet. So, uh, uh, you know, and, and that's certainly the good old days, but, uh, but no, but I tell you what, uh, Chris, I'm excited about what you guys do. You know, obviously anytime you, you, uh, uh, grace me with an opportunity to come and speak to you guys and speak to the audience and uh, you know listening to your shows over the years you know it, it's it's guys who have a real appreciation for sports and a real appreciation for uh, those who uh, who help contribute to it so I consider it a tremendous honor uh, anytime uh, and privilege really anytime you, you guys ask me to show up so I, again I thank you for that
1: We thank you for the same. It's hard to imagine, Brian, but tonight is our 426th episode of the show. You first joined us back on episode number 44 in July of 2012, like I said in your intro. So we've been blessed to know you uh, for for, uh, a decade now, and uh, we can't thank you enough for all the great things that you've done and shared over the course of those years on this show. You're absolutely one of our all-time favorites. Thank you
6: guys. And, and, uh, wish you all the best Continue success. Man.
1: Thank you, Brian. Baker. All the best Thank you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Take care. Thank you. T-Bate. That is the, one of the great coaches in the history of this sport, Bob, Brian Baker. He's been all of those places for a reason. It's not because he, you know, left here and went there and all that sort of stuff. It's because he is one of the most talented defensive coaches in the game sought after by a whole bunch of folks that brought him to where you know all those different places he's been to. And one of the things that that I love most about Brian, first of all, we we love guys that just tell it like it is and 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 he does that. He's he's a great family man. He respects the game. He respects, you know, the other players and the other coaches. He is just one of the most genuine, honest, likable guys that uh that we've been blessed to have as part of the show.
2: I, I can't disagree with anything like that. He's, he's a class act. We use that a lot. He's he's at the top of that list. Um, but there's a reason why he's gone back and forth between pro and colleges because he's a master at developing players to get to the next level. Right. He's been in demand. He's never, guys, basically never been unemployed. I mean, usually coaches have to wait for a job. I mean, he's uh, that good of a coach. And like you say, uh, his uh, off the field, persona and it, just the gentleman that he is trumps anything he does on a football gridiron. So uh, again, uh, it's been a while since we talked with him, Chris, but it all comes back. What kind of uh, great guy, this guy is, and, and just a tremendous coach and he's been doing it for a long time.
1: Right. And on top of that, you want to talk about a guy that, uh, you know, what a tremendous father he's. Listen to what is, what his girls are doing, yeah. right. The, the things that they have gone on to do through college and, and into their careers now. Fantastic stuff. Love Brian. We look forward to catching up with him very, very soon. All right. When Bob and I come back, we'll be turning on our Thursday night tailgate spotlight on the positive. Hear two more great stories about guys out there making a positive impact in their communities. We'll do that on the other side of this real quick station break.
0: Thursday Night Tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened
1: to you tonight. All right, we are back here on Thursday Night Tailgate, turning on our spotlight on the positive. Bob, who you spotlighting this? Now we
2: got a few more weeks of doing this, Chris, and it never gets old, but uh, I figured I'd, I'd spotlight somebody that will be. Playing in the Super Bowl, uh, and this is Brandon Graham of the Philadelphia Eagles, the defensive end, Chris, um, the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee from Philadelphia. Uh, this is his. This he just finished his thirteenth season with the team, Chris, and not many guys have had that kind of run in Philly. There's only been a uh, a handful, literally, that have had such long runs in franchise history. We know how good he can be. He's uh, been to the Pro Bowl. Uh, we know how good that defensive line continues to be, and this guy's been doing it for 13 years. But again, what he does off the field is what separates this guy. Uh, he's got a fund called Team Graham, and uh, he does a lot. This is this is based in his hometown of Detroit, Michigan, Chris, and he does a lot of mentoring of children, uh, providing clothes and food to families in need. Uh, he's very active with the Eagles Autism Foundation, Uh, Anytime the community relations needs somebody to talk to somebody after a game, he's always volunteering. He's always the first there, Um, you know, constantly doing things. He's involved with make a wish, the Ronald McDonald house, the March of dimes. I can keep going on and on Chris. Um, But I mean, you can read his bio under the the nominees uh, at the NFL website said, uh, but he, it, I, I can keep going because I'm looking at some of the other things he's involved with. And uh, again, this is such a great thing. They've been giving it a lot of uh, air time on the networks during games. And uh, I think they, they actually mentioned him a few weeks ago, but uh, he'll be in the Super Bowl, but he's a Superman off the field as well.
1: Yeah, he is. Talk about doing, not doing one thing, doing several things. Good yeah. for him. Thank you to him. And thank you to you, Bob, for, for pulling the that story. I'm going to put my spotlight on this week to uh, 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel. Uh, this Christmas, Debo and his stepmother, Precious Martin, uh, through their Debo Samuel Foundation, wanted to help kids and families for Christmas in his hometown of Inman, South Carolina, and neighboring Spartanburg. Initially, the idea was to provide 25 kids in underserved neighborhoods Uh, with a Christmas shopping spree. But Debo said, you know what? 25 is not enough. Let's double that. Let's do 50. And Debo's stepmom wants him not only to be a great athlete and a a, a great football player, but really to, to be someone that can mentor young kids, help out where he can, and be somebody that these kids can look up to. So they took these kids to the local mall, gave them a $300 gift card, and they went on a shopping spree. The kids also received gift bags filled with merchandise, autographs, and and more things like that. The parents of the children that were chosen, Bob, were, were crying when they found out that their, their kids were picked because they didn't know what they were going to do for those children for Christmas. This was like a, a Christmas miracle for the parents and the kids. And Debo's stepmom said it, it, it warms her heart to do things like this for kids who don't have much, and then to see the appreciation on their faces. The whole experience. Is something these kids are going to remember for the rest of their lives. So that's why I'm putting my spotlight this week on Debo Samuel and his stepmom, Precious Martin, and their foundation. Uh, kudos to them and the 49ers. Great stuff there, Bob.
2: It is, Chris. And again, uh, anything we mention at the end of this show uh, hopefully it gets a little more airplay than a lot of the bad stuff we hear. Um, but that's why we do this to kind of tell you that there's more people doing good things and more players that are going uh in the right direction then there isn't so uh again this That's will right. never get old especially on this show Nah,
1: no, definitely not all right my friend it is time for us to put a bow on this edition of thursday night tailgate we want to send out our sincere thanks again to lee steinberg tony collins tom murphy and brian baker for joining us and bob is always a privilege to get to do this show with you, my friend.
2: Uh, same here, Chris. I feel the same. And uh, that was some uh, old friends joining us for just a good night of talking sports tonight. Yes, it was.
1: All right. Scheduled to join us next week are the new play-by-play announcer for the St. Louis Cardinals, Chip Carey, going back home uh, to uh, to be the announcer for the St. Louis Cardinals next season. So looking forward to catching up with Chip. Uh, We'll also uh, get uh, a couple of great friends back with us, and that is uh, former Chiefs wide receiver and TNT guest Hall of Famer, Eddie Kennison. Been a little while since we've caught up with Eddie. And then former Rams, Bills, and Bucks kick returner, Vernon Turner, will be back with us. Had a movie done about his life, so we're looking forward to catching up with Vernon and hearing all about that. Plus, of course, Tony Collins will be here to go through our, our Super Bowl picks with us. Folks, you can follow us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CT Mascaro. Bob is at Bob underscore Lazarian. and the show is at TNT Podcast. Please visit us on Facebook. You can find both Bob and I on there as well. Plus, we've got a, a page for the show. Please give us a like. That's very important to us. Please continue to check out our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com on there. We'll keep you up to date with what our guest schedule looks like, plus give you links back to full episodes and some special uh, guest segments as well. You can find the show available as a podcast. We are all over the net. We're on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify. Folks, if you've got a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on that one too. Just type in Thursday Night Tailgate in the search bar. You'll be able to find us on there as well. Bob, take
2: us home, my friend. Okay, Chris, I look forward to talking to you next week. We want to thank our terrific announcer, Joe Lajanusa for the wonderful job he always does with our intro and ads. Thanks to Kyle Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley Band for the upcoming outro music. And on behalf of myself and Chris, we thank everyone out there tonight for listening. We appreciate you the most. Until next week. Good night Kevin, good night Terry, good night Rusty and good night Coach Dan Reeves. We miss you guys.
6: Coming down the mountain, I take a breath of sin. Can't tell the day or time, but I know this day will end. On
0: a mission I can't see, they say, I.